hey, it is good to have all of you here uh, today. It is good to worship God uh, together. Are you having a good summer? You having a good summer so far? I hope that you're not running around too crazily. It's good to dance before the Lord, but it's good not to be so busy. I don't, I don't want you to miss your summer. I, I, I don't want to miss my summer because I think that God has a lot of things to, to do in us this summer. We talked about that back in May, that, that, that one of our, our desires is that at the end of this summer, we want to be more in love with God at the end of this summer than we were at the beginning. And it's not about us achieving something or earning something. It's just God just loves to, to lavish it on us. And so I, I, I echo that prayer again uh, for every single one of us. And God is doing some incredible things here uh, at City Branch as we, as we love and as we, we serve uh, the city around us. I, I missed you last week. I was out at West Moines. Uh, our main campus, so it's good to be good to be home uh, again. And uh, one of the things that I got to share uh, with them, being that uh, last Sunday was the first Sunday after vacation Bible school, was just how incredible of a week uh, that was. And I th- you may have seen these pictures, but for those of you that weren't here last week, I think we have a couple pictures uh, to throw up on the screen from. Uh, vacation Bible school, there's just kind of a, a montage. Ooh, I can make puppets. Um, a, a montage of uh, the, uh, what happened at Freedom for Youth uh, a couple weeks ago. And I just want to say, and I want you to hear me say this, I was so, so proud of you. It was just so awesome to see City Branch together as a community of faith serving together. And and as much as VBS is about the kids, and I know that we like to think it's about the kids, and it's all about the kids, and everything is for the kids, it's for you. And you know that you liked it, and you know that you enjoyed it, and doing all the silly songs and all that sort of stuff. And so as much as VBS is for the kids, it's for the adults, and one of my favorite things was seeing all of you serve together. And so many that that aren't able to be with us this morning as well that I know are are out out on the town, um, God does really amazing things when we get out of our comfort zones and when we get out of the box and we step out of the boat, boat like Mark Nelson from Freedom for Youth talked about a few weeks ago, we step out in faith. God does incredible things. And I, and I will tell you this morning, if you're in a small group, if you're, if you're in a Bible study, if you have a group of people that you hang out with on a regular basis, do you want to know one of the fastest ways to grow together and, and to find unity together? One of the fastest ways to do that is not by every single week sitting in your living room talking. That's important. That's a part of it. Serve. Serve together. Nothing will grow you closer together than serving. And that's what I saw uh, at at Freedom for Youth uh, at Vacation Bible School. So I just want to say I am so proud of you. Thank you for doing that, uh, for serving together. And I think that God really... Uh, united us as a church as we serve together uh, in that. So thank you to, to Jody and Laura and the whole children's ministry team uh, for that. And, and one of the things that I got to share uh, with our, our, our family of hope at, at West Des Moines is they don't always know everything that's going on here. Over, well over 90% of these kids we're not from City Branch. We're not from our community. And that is just a huge praise God. So let's just give God praise for that. That is just awesome. Um. It just goes to show further the importance of the satellite ministry, not only here at City Branch, but at North Branch and Ankeny as well, that that sometimes God just wants to do things outside of the walls that we wouldn't even think and outside of the box. So um, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for doing that. Um, Hope that you also had a wonderful 4th of July. Um, I lit a lot of sparklers, probably more than I should have, and ran around like a fool with sparklers and kind of got that inner kid in me going uh, again. But as we know, as the the, the 4th of July passes by, summer is starting to move along. And summer for us here at Hope means that we've been going through this series called the Old Testament Times. So once again, if you want to take out your bulletin, 
and uh, we're kind of pretending that we just got the Sunday morning news that you open up your, your Old Testament uh, register here, uh, and you see the headline this morning is David's Freedom Dance Deemed Undignified, and we heard a little bit about that uh, in the children's sermon, and so as we've been going through this series, we've been opening up these different headlines and studying some of the major themes and characters uh, and events of the Old Testament. And even if you're unfamiliar with a lot of these, if you didn't grow up in the church or, or you're still new uh, to City Branch, that maybe you've probably heard of folks like Noah or uh, Abraham or even David, as we'll be looking at today. But I'm also guessing that as we've been going through these stories, even if you've known about them for years, hopefully you realize that there's a lot more going on here. There's a lot more to these stories than meets the eye, than maybe just what was on the the flannel graph chart that your Sunday school teacher had and the Velcro and you're sticking it on there. There's maybe a little bit more going on than the the mural that was painted on the the hallway in, in your Sunday school wing of your church growing up, maybe. There's a lot more going on in these stories and maybe they're not quite as safe as we would like them to be. And also, maybe you're realizing that a lot of these heroes of the Old Testament are not as nice and and, and clean and and put together and perfect as we would make them out to be. In fact, one of our prayers this summer is that, as as we mentioned at the beginning of this series, and it's important that we remind ourselves that, so often we put a lot of these Old Testament characters, we kind of put them up on this pedestal. This, this unattainable pedestal. And it's so important for us that, that we kind of take them off that pedestal once in a while and we just set them down and so we can look them eye to eye and see in their eyes the same God, that they're following the same God that we're following here today. That, that somehow we, we put them up on this pedestal and we, we think they're unattainable sometimes. And we say, and we look at the Bible and we look at all these people and we say, you know what, I could never do that. I could never reach that level of spirituality because we we almost start to call them super Christians, superstar Christians, and we put them up on this pedestal almost as if they're experts, right? They're God experts, and we could never do that because when you think about it, we live in a culture of experts, don't we? There's experts all all around us, whether it's uh, uh, people that can... That can uh, fix your car. Uh, there, there's people that that um, can can fix your computer uh, unless you have a Mac. I've been told um, that then that's not an issue uh, for you. But we have all sorts of experts, uh, and 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 the problem is, I think that sometimes we do the same thing with the characters in the Old Testament. That we that we put them up on on this pedestal, this unattainable pedestal. And of course, they they are great men and women of faith. Don't get me wrong. But the danger is, I think, is when we start to look at the Bible as a book of exceptions to what real life is like, instead of a book of examples of what it looks like for regular, ordinary people like you and I to walk with the living God on a daily basis. The Bible is a book of examples, not a book of exceptions. They're like, that happened long ago, and today's different. That would be a mistake on our part. In fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, or actually uh, last week when Pastor Molly was here talking about Elijah, some of you were listening to that sermon about Elijah and he just has this incredible prayer life. And some of you are thinking, you know what? I could never pray like Elijah. Wow, he's just incredible. Sometimes people ask me what my favorite passage of scripture is. And I say, well, I have lots of them, but one of them is this. And it's just a very short one. So let's just read this together from James 5, 17. 
Let's read this together. Elijah was a man just like us. Read that underlying part one more time. Just like us. Do you, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Just like us. And the reason I love that verse so much is it kind of takes Elijah and it takes Elijah off of his pedestal and he puts him down here at my level. The Bible says that this great biblical hero, he was just a guy. He was just a regular human being. He was a man. He was a human being just like us. But so often we just get in this mindset and it's really dangerous. We just, I'm so weak. I've just been through so much. I don't, I don't really have anything to offer. I have nothing. I mean, what, am I, am I going to be like Elijah? Am I going to be like, like, like David? I mean, what, what am I going to be like Moses? I mean, be like Moses and, and, and walk down to Interstate 235 in the middle of rush hour and hold up my arms and part traffic or something like that. Like, that stuff just doesn't happen anymore, right? That's old school. That's back in the day. That stuff just doesn't happen anymore. But verses like this should also come as a powerful reminder, a powerful reminder that God is totally capable of using people for his kingdom who feel completely and utterly inadequate. And maybe that's how you feel this morning. I just feel so weak. I feel so far away from God. He could never use me. Well, you're worshiping the right God then because he has a history of doing just that. God chooses weak people to lead the strong and God chooses foolish people to shame the wise. Foolish foolish. Is that a word that you normally think of when you think about heroes of the faith? I want to be like David. I want to be foolish, right? That's not usually what comes to mind. But today our story is about David and he's acting a bit foolish himself. Yes, David is a great hero, but he's a man just like us. And you may have seen these past few weeks, these news reels that we've been having as if this is the news story of the week. And so uh, this just in from the Old Testament times, Fox News, CNN, whatever you want to call it, this just in, let's roll that footage about David. Ants deemed undignified. The men of Israel had reclaimed the Ark of the Lord and were parading it into the city of David. There was shouting, dancing, and much rejoicing. Songs bellowed forth from lyres, harps, tambourines, and cymbals. But none of these things drew the ire of Michal, quite like the dancing of her husband, King David. For David was clothed in little more than servant's garb, and danced in a way that left little to the imagination. And so, after the Ark was delivered to its resting place, and David arrived home, Michal criticized David for his shamefully indecent exposure. But David was not ashamed, far from it, for David danced for the Lord, and those who recognized this held David in an honorable light. But Michal, with her contempt for David and his tendency to humiliate himself for God, spent her life without a child, while David danced... Danced for the Lord. It happened exactly just like that. That's actual footage uh, of the actual event. But it does set the stage for our story today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5. If we're going to understand what's going on in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that we read today, we've got to do a little background work. We've got to do a little detective work and go back to chapter 5. 
uh, and set the stage. So 2 Samuel chapter 5, just a page before you were, starting at verse 3. And so we see in verse 3 that David is finally being anointed king. And like Tracy said, yes, this is the same David. The same David that had the slingshot and the rocks and the, whoosh, and, the whoosh, and the hit the giant fall down. Same guy. Same guy is now being anointed king over all God's people. And so uh, although much has happened, obviously, to get there. If you remember long, long ago, even when David was a shepherd boy. David was a shepherd boy taking after care after the flock. God saw in David... A man after his own heart, as it says in 1 Samuel. David, you see, David had been promised the throne of Israel long ago, long before he ever became king. And so it's kind of been a waiting game for him. And, and, and David was, was a man after God's own heart, which was, was unlike his predecessor, King Saul, before him. And so now that Saul was gone, David stepped into this position of authority and he was anointed king. For David... You have to understand, but by this point in the story, by the time he does any sort of foolish dancing, David has nothing to prove. David has reached that point in his life where he doesn't need the position of king. He doesn't need that bonus. He doesn't need the raise. He doesn't need the accolades to boost his ego, to boost his identity or his popularity. David has the heart of a king because his heart is wrapped up in God. And he understood, unlike King Saul before him, that positions of authority, it doesn't matter if it's back then or it doesn't matter if it's today, positions of authority are not for the sake of your own happiness as a leader. It doesn't matter what position of authority you're in today. Maybe you're, you're a parent or, or you're, a, you're a spouse or you're a boss or, or a coworker with somebody or, or whatever it is that you oversee. Positions of authority are not for your own happiness or to, to somehow lord it over other people. Positions of authority are given to you to serve. Leadership means to serve. Leadership means to, to, to give yourself away so that those around you can experience life. What is life like for the people that are following you? We'll give you a good indication about your leadership. So it's not to lord it over other people. And David understood that. And it doesn't matter if you're, you're a CEO or a, or a pastor or, or a teacher or, or a, a mom or a dad or a, a boss in any, any way or the king of Israel. It doesn't change. So now that we know that about David... Let's hop on over to chapter 6, where are we at today? Chapter 6. So David is now anointed king, and he wastes no time getting down to business. He, he recaptures Jerusalem, and the next thing he does is he leads God's people into the city with the Ark of the Covenant. And I tell you what, right here in my notes it says, Indiana Jones. So whoever said that, you're smart. So, if you've seen Indiana Jones, right? The Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what it's all about, okay? Except in this story with David, there's no Harrison Ford and all that stuff. Uh, but they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant in, and uh, they don't have to go into some tunnel to find it. It's there. They got it. They're bringing it into Israel. If you go back to Deuteronomy and God's people, the story of the Ark is that, that Moses got the second set of Ten Commandments to put inside there. There's a second set, and, and so they, wherever the Israelites go, as they would wander through the wilderness, 
that they would carry this Ark of the Covenant with them. You can see it's kind of up on, up on those risers there. And the priests, the Levites, would carry it with them on their shoulders. And they believed that wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, that God's, God's, God's spirit and God's power were very special in that place. It was extra powerful. That God was there. And they, they put it near the, the, near the tabernacle, near the tent. And so it was almost as if they had a king on a chariot that was riding along with them, that God was their king. And so for David to, to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, at, excuse me, at this time, it was an act of reverence. It was an act, uh, it was an act of worship. And so, but what, the, the question is, what was the big deal? Why, why, why was it such a big deal? It was because the king of Israel said, this is one of the most important things that we could do. This is a worship service, but essentially, it was a parade. And so if you can get, get, get the picture, there's a massive, massive 4th of July parade going on here. If you look at verse 5 in chapter 6, David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments. And then if you skip down to verse 15, So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. And so what we've got here, I was thinking about this, you you take all the energy and you take all the excitement of of Adventureland, a day at Adventureland, and you put that together with, with, if you're an artist, the arts festival, and you put that together and you throw in an iCubs game and you take out the hot dog launcher and you put it on steroids and all that energy and excitement, excitement, that's 2 Samuel chapter 6. Does that help just a little bit? Just try to put a little local flavor. Okay, good. So you kind of understand what's going on. And it was such an exciting time of worship that watch what David does. Verse 14. David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. Now you might think, okay, normally I don't see priests or pastors or people like that dance, and it is a little strange. The word for the priestly garment here in Hebrew is ephod. Say ephod. Oh, you can say it better than that. Ephod. Ephod. So David's got on an ephod, and essentially it's this uniform that the priests would wear. Those people that have a close connection with God and intercede with the people, uh, with God for the people. And, and, and the, the, David, you have to understand, David is a grown man by now. He's anointed king, maybe in his 30s, you know, he's probably in his middle 40s by now. And I have to ask you, when is the last time you saw a grown man dancing in his bathrobe? Is that a normal thing for you to see? No, it's not. And, 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 and wives, maybe have your husbands try that tonight or something at home. Just, just give that a shot. It's not normal because that's not what grown men do, especially if you're the king of Israel. And so David's own wife, Michal, calls him out on it. Look at verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, it's gone well with everybody else. But where do you get the most flack in your own house, of course, from your wife, right? They're having a little marital dispute here. Uh, David returned home to bless his household. Michal, daughter of Saul, his wife, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, a little bit of sarcasm there, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. In other words, Michal is saying to David, you're not acting anything like a king should. You're, you're a grown man. You're the king of Israel. This is one of the most important days of your life, David. Don't you understand? You have an ego, right? 
Well, Michal does. David doesn't. You, you, you have, you have uh, an image, David, that you need to maintain. And you need to be on your best behavior. You need to be acting especially kingly today. And on top of it all, you've taken off of your king's robes, your, your thousands, your, your millions of dollars of robes and, and jewels and pearls that you could be wearing to show off to everybody how much you have. And instead you've put on this plain Jane priestly robe that maybe is showing a little bit too much. We don't know. Obviously David doesn't care. And on top of it, his wife says, you're, act, you're acting like a fool. My normal reaction would be, and I don't know about you, defensiveness, Right? Most of us would get defensive. And then we'd have a little fight. But remember, David, he has nothing to prove. And so watch how David responds. I was dancing before the Lord. And in some translations, it has David even saying, and I will become even more undignified than this. In other words, you haven't seen nothing. You haven't seen nothing yet. I go even more crazy. Because it was at this moment that what his wife didn't even understand about David, about this relationship that he had with God, is what was at the heart of David's identity. And maybe you remember, if you've read some of the Old Testament, we know that David was a great warrior. He fought bears with his bare hands when he was a shepherd. Then he goes on and and he's put in charge of, of all the armies of Israel. David is a great warrior. Of course, we know that David is a great king. He's a great leader. He has all the, 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 the riches and fame and popularity in all the land than you could ever imagine. But what David shows us in this story is that his truest identity as a man of God, as a man after God's own heart, is as a lover. As a lover. David is a man's man. You have to understand this. There's no meaner, tougher dude than David. But in this moment, David chooses to be a lover over being a king or a warrior. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Maybe David is, is, is pointing us to this essential truth that, that, that it's okay to be a lover, even as a man, even as a male it's okay to be vulnerable. It's, o- it's okay to, to let yourself come undone. And guys, I know that this language is really tough. But look at this. You have to understand this from David. You have to understand this from David. If you look all throughout the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms are, are gut-wrenching poems from David. But so many of the Psalms are love stories. <laughs> they're love songs. They're, 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 they're love poems. Like you would write to someone if you're wooing them, if you're wooing their heart. Over and over and over again. Psalm 42, like a deer pants for water, so my heart longs for the Lord. Psalm 16, you fill me with joy in your presence. Psalm 63, 3, your love is better than life itself. You don't hear guys talking like that. Normally, and, 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 and men, I know this is especially difficult for us because it's all this lovey-dovey kind of language and you feel like David's got caught in a, in a chick flick or something like that and it's really hard for him to, to break out of that. 
And, and, and I used to struggle with that. And I know a lot of guys are just like, I can't relate with the Psalms. I can't relate with, with Song of Songs or Ecclesia. It's all this poetic language. And it's just cheesy and hokey and lovey-dovey. And my advice to you with that, men, get over it. Seriously, just get over it. And I know I have the gift of compassion, but you'll have to deal with me here. You need to get over it. Because what David shows us in this story is that one of the most essential, if not the essential characteristic of being a man of God, and a woman of God for that matter, is to be a lover. Is to be a lover. Not just of women. Maybe that's the case and maybe that'll come. But most importantly, to have a relationship and intimacy with your Father in heaven. I want you to look at this verse from Psalm 27. Uh, Let's read this together. This is David writing to God. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Did you hear that? I have everything. David's saying, I have everything. Cars, boats, yachts, money, mansions, riches, women. I could have anything I want. And this is what he says. I only want one thing. I just want to be with God. Because nothing else satisfies satisfies my soul. And I can just, is it okay for you? That's my, my question. Is it okay for you to just be with God? Or do you always have to be doing something for God? Is your relationship with God based on busyness? Or is it based on an intimacy that you have with your Father in heaven? And everything else in your life, in your spirituality, flows out of that. And that's what David had. That's what David had. The question for us this morning is, what is faith really all about? If David has anything to say about it, I have a feeling that David would say, faith is not primarily primarily a laundry list of do's and don'ts. It's not about having all the answers. It's not about being busy for God. It's not about not being just in one, but four Bible studies just so you can feel spiritual. If anything, at its core, faith is a love relationship between you and your Father in heaven. That it's not about how much I can muster up and accomplish for God. It's more about what he's already done for me and I'm responding to that. When did it become something more than that for you? When when did it get so complicated? When did it become a business for you? When did it become a duty for you? When did it become sort of a putting-in-my-time religion thing? Because very easy, it's very easy for us to work full-time at religion and yet be a part-time worshiper. And so here's David. Back to David, and David's doing his thing, and he's dancing around, and we don't know how many clothes he has on. It's probably summer, so it's hot, so give him a break. So he's dancing around, but you look at David, and you say, wow, he's acting crazy. Well, maybe you don't understand his heart. 
And we will never understand what David is doing in that story until we understand that he has the heart of a poet. So dancing before the Lord isn't that crazy, isn't that much out of the question. And it's at this point that a lot of us, we really get hung up and we start to have these conversations about style of worship, right? Worship styles, right? I go to this church, and when I go to this church, we really worship because everybody has their hands raised. And if you don't have your hands raised, then you're not really worshiping. Well, I go to this service, and at this service, we have this gigantic pipe organ, and that's how you worship because that's what I grew up with, right? And, 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 but, but, but maybe you've been coming to, to Hope for a while. Maybe you've been gone to a few of our different campuses and, and you kind of look around and, and, and being a Lutheran is new for you and you're still trying to, to figure all that out. And you look around and you, somebody's going like this and, and then you see the one hand go up and you're like, do, do they have a question? Or, and then you see the two hands go up. Did somebody score? Like, go! You know, like, what, you know, what's, what's going on? And, 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 he looks really funny when he worships and, and she, she has her eyes closed when she worships. Like, what's that all about? I mean, that's just, I'm just going to kind of stay in my little box here. In fact, I'm just going to sit in the back because I don't want anybody. I'm not going to sit in the front row. Heaven forbid somebody might see me getting excited for God. I mean, what, what is that? It's, it's, it's weird. Is it, is it Lutheran? I don't know. And you, and you kind of look around, but then at the same time, I know that for a lot of you, you have these moments in worship, and maybe as we were worshiping this morning, and, and Paul and the team were leading us in worship, you just had one of those moments where something in you connects with something greater, connects with something of God, and you're just in that moment. And the most natural thing for you to do, maybe for you, is to just stand there in silence and soak it in. But for some of you, I know that the most natural thing for you to do is I can't sit in my chair any longer. In fact, I can't even stand because the most natural thing for me to do is to lift my hands in worship. Because what I'm feeling, what God is doing inside of me is bigger than my body. It's, it's, it's outside of me and I can't contain it anymore. So when you see people that are worshiping like that, it's, it's, I'm not drawing attention to myself. I just don't know what to do with myself anymore. Because God, he's just loving on me. And I, I can't, I don't know what else to do. I, I just, I can't contain it. And sometimes we have those moments, but we get so aware of what's going on around us that we, we start to stand up and we're in that moment and we start to look around us and people are watching us. And we go, oh, I was just stretching it out. It was nothing. I was just stretching it out. Just kind of doing some shoulder rubs there. It's nothing. Why is that? You know? Like, why, why is that insecurity there? And so if we look at David, it doesn't surprise us that he's acting like that because he doesn't have anything to prove anymore. And, and just to give you a little bit more of a, a picture of this, does, does anybody like World Cup soccer? Have any soccer fans out there? The final is this afternoon. It's really exciting. If you've been watching the World Cup, if anything, when I watch the World Cup, I don't watch soccer. I watch the fans. Any sport that there is one point every four and a half hours to me is not worth watching, okay? So I usually watch the fans more than I watch the game, right? Yes, exactly. So it doesn't matter who you're cheering for. It doesn't matter what's going on. If you watch the fans, they're crazy. It doesn't matter if their team's winning or losing. They got their whole bodies painted like the flag, and they're shaking each other, and they've got all these chants and everything. They're just going crazy, 
right? Because they're caught up in something bigger than themselves. And in that moment, when their team scores a goal, and you stand up and it's... And you just hear that roar come over the stadium. Never mind the buzzers. Have you heard the buzzers? Oh, whoever had that idea never needs to have an idea again for the rest of their life. They just... Watch, watch the game this afternoon, 2.30 Eastern, 1.30 Central. Watch the game. It sounds like a giant swarm of mosquitoes has overtaken the stadium. Anyway, it just adds to the buzz. You don't see Mr. Argentina fan go, ah, ooh, there's other people watching me, right? You don't see him do that. And, and to bring it home a little bit, you could say the exact same thing about 75,000 people in Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City, right? Exactly. It's the same sort of feel. And Okay. I know, as a disclaimer, same thing about the school in Ames. But back to the Hawkeyes. So you see the picture up here, right? And we've got these flags, and you're in Kinnick Stadium, and there's all these people, and we're ranked in the top ten of the nation, unlike the other team. And they've got these flags, and they're going around, and each section you're in is I, O, W, A. Everybody now, I, O, W, A. Hawkeye fans, by the end of the sermon, that's my goal. I, O, W, and back and forth. And it doesn't matter where you're sitting because you're a part of something that's bigger than you. And in that moment, nothing else matters. Something in you has connected with something larger. And dare I say that there's a lot of worship that takes place in sports stadiums. The question is, where is that worship directed. And my second question is this. If we can get so excited about soccer players whose names that we don't understand and can't even pronounce, and if we can get so excited about 19 and 20 year old football, college football players, what does it look like for you to worship the God of the universe? And my answer to that is whatever is authentic to what God is doing in you at that time. And maybe for you, that's dancing in the aisle like David. And maybe for you, it's lifting your hands. And, and, and maybe for you, it's, it's, it's standing there in, in silence and just letting it soak over. Maybe you need to cry. Maybe that would be good for you to just let it out. But the deeper question is not so much what expression of worship do you do here for an hour every single week. The deeper question is, what does it look like for you to be a worshiper on Wednesday afternoon? What does it look like for you to be a worshiper on Monday morning? Ugh. Right? What does that look like for you? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. What does it look like for you? And so it's, it's more about us coming here with, with a posture that doesn't say, what can I come and get from worship today? What can I come and consume in worship today? It's a question of coming with a posture of your heart and saying, what can I give? Because I'm a part of this family and I want to offer things to this family. And if I'm not there with the family, I can't offer what I have to the family. I can't be a part of the body of Christ. What can I bring? And the ultimate question for us is, God, as we worship together as a church, what would be pleasing to you? In fact, it doesn't matter how I feel. If I'm worshiping you and if I'm experiencing you, that's what I need to feel. It may not be that buzz every single week. But do you believe that God's big enough to meet you here in this place each week? 
the biggest mistake that you can make in hearing this message today is to believe that true worship is like a World Cup fan. That true worship is like an enraged Iowa Hawkeye fan. That true worship is like a VBS kid that's had too much Mountain Dew to drink. You know, that's true worship. And if I can't go crazy like that, then it's not real. If I can't dance like David, then it's not cutting it. If we learn anything from David, it's that he knew that his identity, his identity was so rooted in his relationship with his father in heaven. And he had this intimacy. And that relationship compelled him to live a life of worship. Beyond the expectations of others and the expectations we put on ourselves. Even he says to his own wife, no, you, you, you just don't get it. I, I'm not run by the expectations and the opinions of other people anymore. David says, because when I worship, it's me. Like, I'm real. And my question for you this morning is, is it real for you? Is it real for you? Is, is, is it just going through the motions? Or is that love relationship real? Is it you? Because little by little, those expectations, they start to add up. And, and first, it's just one kind of wondering, you know, how am I going to look? And then it's, what are my friends going to think? And then I think, well, what would my parents want me to believe? Because that's the faith that they brought me up in. And then we start to add our own expectations on ourselves, And we say, well, I, I'm a, I, sh- I just need to try a little bit harder. And, and I look over there, and I don't have half the faith that they do. And, and I'm, oh, I'm falling behind in my Bible study. And, and oh, man, I'll never be able to pray like them. And come on, come on, get it together. And, and everyone else is being busy for God. Why aren't you? And, and I need to get those kids to behave. And, and I need to fix my marriage. And I need to get over that addiction that I have and I need to try harder and I just need to get myself cleaned up and it's all about me and all the pressure is about me and it's all about me and God just says stop and realize that it has always been about me and what I've already done for you and who I say you are and is it any wonder That when a child looks up to their father, that they go, Daddy. And all of a sudden, it's a simple act of worship. Because it's real. Because it's authentic. And maybe for you this morning, you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I... I, re- I remember when it used to be like that. I had that kind of faith once. And maybe for some of you are saying, yeah, I had it, but it's gone. Well, the good news for every single one of us this morning is that God says, you may have lost it, but I have got it. And I want to give it to you because as any good father, I want to lavish gifts upon all of my children. God says, I want that relationship with you, and it's not for super Christians. It's nothing weird. It's nothing strange. It's for you, and it's just real and natural. And so ask him for it. Ask him for it. In a little bit, we're just going to pray, and we're just going to ask God for that, for his spirit to come in a powerful way, that this isn't just one more Sunday. It's just not one more time of watching worship happen from the sidelines. Get in the game.
God says, I want that kind of relationship with you. We can do it. Because in the end, God is not going to ask you, why did you not dance before me like David? God is going to ask you, why were you not authentic to the man or woman of God that I created you uniquely to be? Don't try to be anybody else because you are who you are. And God's going to say, I've been here all along and I've just been waiting for you to lift your hands and say, Dad, I need you and I can't do this on my own. And he's right there with open arms, ready to receive you. Amen? Let's stand together.